0: Listener supported W N Y C Studios.
1: So I've been podcasting for a while. You know, it's a it's a, you know, early medium, so it has not that long, but for a while. And I will remember when I first started, I was trying to do this like black Ira glass voice, sort of like, <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the podcast. And it, just, it wasn't me. And I go back and I listen to them and it just sounds like and I remember that tension of do I sound do I talk like myself or do I talk like who I think people need me to be to respect me.
2: Whose voices do we hear when it comes to stories of scientific breakthroughs and new technologies? In this panel, four podcasters of color talk about why it's so important to make sure that science and tech podcasts are more diverse and how to make the field more inclusive for both creators and listeners. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It the Podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event.
3: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here this early in the morning, this cold, freezing in the rain. We really appreciate you. Um, So, if I could have everyone kind of even out and be quiet. Thank you very much. Cool, so I'm gonna hop right into things because we don't have much time, but we do have a lot of things to discuss here. So I'm gonna introduce myself, kind of my inspiration for um, creating this panel, the kinds of things that we're gonna talk about during this panel and then get into who our lovely panelists are. So my name is Sam Riddell. I'm an independent podcast producer. principal host and executive producer of a podcast called Innerho Uprising, which is a show about sex, love, and dating helmed by four queer black feminists. And as it's relevant to this panel, I am a former podcast producer at a science and tech publication. So, and this is kind of where we get into the storytelling of why we're here today, right? So when I was creating a show at uh, my old company it was at the intersection of futurism and intersectional feminism specifically queer black intersectional feminism so like what does a black feminist future look like and as I was thank you for the snaps <laughs> as I was doing um, research for this show and research about the futurism podcasting niche uh, at all I didn't hear myself in the podcast and specifically what I mean by that was that it was very white and it was very male and that was concerning for two reasons, right? So when we talk about like, these big concepts like futurism and what's next for our society, you might agree with me, but I think that all of our voices need to be included in that kind of conversation, right? But then specifically, when we talk about white men existing in this space and we think about the fact for, that for maybe the past 500 years, white dudes have been telling the story of where we're going in society and, You might agree with me here too. We're kind of in dire straits right now as a society. And in those same uh, centuries where white men have been dominating the conversation, people at the margins have been left out of that conversation. And so I think it's crucial that we have people at the margins in the conversations about futurism, specifically in a forward-facing medium like podcasting. So that's what we're talking about here today, right? So on this panel, we will discuss the nature of this podcasting niche, how this space affects us as listeners and creators, and us, by us I mean folks at the margins, specifically black women today, because that is who our panel comprises of. And lastly, actionable ways that we'd like to see change in the space to create better shows. And so I'm going to kick it over to our panelists by just having you guys
4: introduce yourselves, and we can start off with Naima. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Naima, and I'm known mostly as Queen. I am the co-host and co-producer of Tea with Queen and J podcast, um, writer, science enthusiast, and a regular jagula chick from the Bronx, that's, that's me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Janina
5: Jeff. I'm the host of a podcast called In Those Genes, which is a podcast that uses genetics to help African Americans uncover their lost identities. I'm also a scientist, a geneticist at a biotech company, and motivational speaker, lover of all things black, science, tech, futurism, feminism, all the things. All the same,
1: All of them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all. My name is Bridget Todd. I live in Washington, DC. Um, I am a grassroots political organizer, activist, strategist. Um, I also produce and host podcasts. Um, I'm the co-host of the Afropunk podcast. Um, I also co-host Stuff Mom Never Told You on the How Stuff Works network. And I'm the executive producer of Refinery29's Unstyled podcast.
3: So thank you, guys. So happy to have you here. Um, I want to start off by talking about just the podcasting climate in this specific niche, right? So if we can play uh, audio cue
0: one. The news today seems pretty grim. I think our plans to build Utopia kind of accidentally built the opposite.
2: The future can feel like a blur, racing out ahead of us, a bewildering landscape, the likes of which we've never seen before.
0: We spend a lot of time talking about how things could go wrong, but much less on what it is we're actually working for. What if everything went right? Is technology moving us forward or backward? There are still many, many people out there trying to make the world a better place. And those people have some pretty wild ideas.
2: So we want the show to focus on the technology news that matters to you. Computers, robots,
0: rocket ships, cloning. Eight weeks, eight big questions, eight big answers. It's called Crazy Genius. Future Perfect. Anatomy of Next. If Then.
1: The secret history of the future.
3: Cool. So, to you that might have sounded like a trailer for one specific show, but that was actually a mashup of six different shows, <laughs> all hosted by white dudes, just to give you like an auditory painting of what this landscape is like, right? So with that, I'm gonna kick it to you guys. Um, who? <laughs> I had a lot of fun editing that. Uh, so. Who are, in your opinion, STEM, tech, and forward-facing podcasts for? And what do you derive from the tone, host, content, subject matter, music, all the elements that go into creating these shows? How does that impact you listening to it or listening to something like that? Whoever um, wants want to take it. Whoever feels most moved by the white dudes talking about the future.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's the least moving thing ever, white men. Um, <laughs> Um, It sounds like exactly, the voices that we heard sounds like exactly who they want to speak to. Um, White, kind of calm, um, collected men. Um, It doesn't even sound like mess. And For me, science is always like this messy space. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, it just doesn't sound like what um, science and tech actually is. So who are they fucking talking to, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: agree with Queen. I mean, to me, that just sounds Alienating. It just sounds, when I, hear that, when I hear that mashup, all of the signal cues that are supposed to signal that this is not for me, I, I, I read them that way. And so it's very alienating. Um, as a listener, I would imagine if I didn't really know the podcast space or the medium, I would think, oh, this is a space that's not for me. This is a space where my story, my voice doesn't matter.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to add on to it, it's not relatable there are female scientists, there are scientists of color. Science is not just a bunch of white guys talking about the things that they like. It seems like they're just um, talking about things they like with their friends, which I guess some podcasts should be like, but it's not very inclusive Mm -hmm. and it's not very applicable. So I don't relate to it. Science science podcasts are hard in general. Like people, (laughs) to want to listen to a science podcast, you have to pull people in. And part of that is relatability, and nothing about that relates to anyone except for the people who look like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wanna take it
3: uh, like, uh, under layer deeper. So when I hear science shows, I think about the white dudes on the top, and then like right underneath, there's white women talking about science and futurism, and then there's like a sprinkling of people of color, right? So um, recently I was listening to a episode of Science Versus where they were talking about the state of gentrification right now. Um, and I had some issues with it, but I kind of want to get you guys' thoughts on how it's perceived as folks of color listening to issues that kind of impact us at the forefront, right? So, can we play uh, audio Q3? So, we got our producer,
4: Dr. Meryl Horn, PhD, to crunch some numbers.
3: You want to see my data? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I do want to see your data. And we know this is not peer reviewed but it's the best we've
4: got. So
3: she did some stats. I found the population, normalized all of the time points. I did a linear regression, looked to see if there is a statistically significant difference between the slopes to see if the p-value was less than 0.01. So what did you find? I found that over this period of time, you could see that the calls just kept going up and up in the gentrifying areas more than the other neighborhoods. Was it was it by a lot? Yeah, the calls in the gentrifying neighborhoods were going up, like, 70% faster. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, th- I think this is a real effect. So that was in regards to, you know, uh, folks like Corner Store Caroline and things like that calling, or maybe the myth that people are calling... Um, People in gentrified neighborhoods are calling the cops more on black people and people of color. So, just as a general listener, thoughts?
4: Um, So, for me, like my podcast is about dismantling white supremacist patriarchal capitalism. That's what I nerd about. Like, that's all I talk about. So, it just, for me, it just shows that people are not connected to the conversations they are having. We have been saying this. People in these neighborhoods have been saying this, but you don't believe us and you have to get data to fucking believe this shit. We've been saying this you have the proof, like the science is there because my black ass is saying it, you know? I
5: I was thinking the same thing. Like I was watching a documentary once on gentrification that was also done by a white woman and I thought, why didn't they interview anyone who's being affected by gentrification yeah, yeah. like there's this one side we're talking about gentrification there's an acknowledgement that it's a problem there's an acknowledgement that calling the police is a problem why not talk to the people who are being affected by it and so again this is a problem that's affecting us that people are talking about for their entertainment but we're not included in it mm-hmm. i would even go to like take that one step further. So in that science versus clip, just to be
3: transparent, there were people affected by gentrification in that episode. But oh. I think that kind of episode needs to be hosted yeah. by someone who's affected yeah. by gentrification mm-hmm. because that's the only person. If I'm in a gentrifying neighborhood, that I want to listen to in the first place, not to like, haha, wow, this is so funny. So I
1: thought that that was pretty tone deaf. Yeah. First, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think, oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. You know, thinking about an issue like that from the da- from the data, it's almost insulting, right? As a, I'm, I'm a Person who lives in the same neighborhood where I was born and i 've watched it change very rapidly if you if you know d c you know it's a it 's a changing neighborhood we 'll put it that way um, and you know I know what that experience looks like feels like I know all the tensions the anxieties you know what that experience actually sounds like as a person living it and it doesn't look like two women giggling about data it doesn't look like you know women poring over like when 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 you played the clip i was almost my eyes were sort of like in no shade to their to their podcast but my eyes were sort of rolling back in my head because that's not what that experience sounds like looks like feels like it's not data sets and tables and this and that it's it's real it's people's lives it's my life and hearing it kind of distilled through that medium, it's almost insulting as someone who's living it. Mm -hmm.
3: For sure. So that's a little bit of what it's like listening to shows in this field. Let's talk about what it's like creating shows in this field. Super fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and maybe, Janina, we can start with you because you have like a super new entry space. Um, What are the kinds of challenges in discussing these topics
5: as a black woman? I think the biggest challenge for science podcasts a black science podcast is thinking all the podcasts that exist today are the clips that we heard, the first clip in particular. So there's a huge um, conflict in like, okay, I'm, I teach science all the time. I'm always doing this in an all white environment, which is typically what I you know am used to, but that's not the purpose of the podcast. And so I'm trying to have to think about consciously think about how do I deliver this message in a relatable way that still has my credibility. Because in the science in the science field, particularly in my industry genetics, like I have to prove myself as credible already, like having a PhD and all that, cool, but like they still need to, you know, I have to code switch all the time. And to be able to have this space to not code switch, to be able to be my authentic self and to be able to tell a story in a way that has never been done in a relatable way for the community is something that there's not an example out there for me to look at and be like oh they did it well and all the examples that i've tried to look at none of them in my opinion do it to uh, do it with the purpose that i'm trying to do which is touch a community that hasn't been spoken to before so there's a lot of challenges of how do i do that still remain credible not um, dismantle the science not water it down but not making it too challenging It's, yeah, it's a lot of things. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I could talk all day about that, but I think for me, I'm in a really weird position. Um, The network that I make my show on is How Stuff Works. And so the show that I make, Afropunk, it's a podcast about dismantling white supremacy. It's about uplifting the voices of people at the margins, so like black queer women, activism, all of that. And my network is, and so I'm explicitly making a show for young black listeners. Like I know who my people are, I know who I wanna to speak to, but my network is how stuff works. And our flagship shows are, I mean they're white dudes talking about nerdy white dude shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's be real. No shade to them, it's a, it's a, it's a important show, but the listenership of our network is skews very white. And so when you're making a show that is about, for and about, black, like young black activists, young black artists, young black creators, it's difficult because, you know, people who listen to How Stuff Works might think, oh, like every show they produce is for us, like it's for me, it's for, you know, Chad White Guy or whatever. And then when he listens to the show, he's gonna think, what the hell is this? They're calling me a racist? I voted for Obama, like what is this? (laughs) And so we have to walk this really strange kind of tightrope of, making something that we think is really beautiful and important specifically for our people, but then also knowing that our, our network's larger audience is just not that people. And so we have this extra hat that we have to wear. Not only am I like a podcast producer and host, I also have to be the sort of inclusion expert who knows, you know, how are we gonna bring these folks in because they're not there.
3: And what are some ways that you think, actionably, to people in this room that you would say you would like in terms of like resources or help in addressing those challenges?
1: Money, definitely money. <laughs> uh, money. Um, yeah, I would say money, but then also just meaningful investments in inclusion in the space, right? Because I've seen a million times people will just hire one black host and think like, oh, we've done it, diversity achieved, like that's mm-hmm. it. And no, you actually need you know, to make meaningful investments. Like, Don't just hire somebody. Are they supported? Not just are they at the table? Do they have a voice? Do they feel comfortable you know, expressing and, and knowing they will be heard and valued and listened to? So I would say money, you know, fund black podcasters, train black podcasters, throw us coin, give us money to make cool shit, and then also support us.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, was, I just want to add that... Um, Kind of just get rid of the privilege that you have. Make yourself marginalized. Like, there's that's just what you have to do. Um, if you want to include other people, if you actually want to, like, first you have to actually want to do that shit, which is what most, peop- most white men don't want to do. Most people want to, don't want to give up their privilege, they don't want to give up their space. Um, so, give up the space and be a marginalized person, and then you can a little bit understand. Um, the other side and other people who need to be in the conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to add on to that. I would say the biggest thing is walking to every situation, unlearning all the things you were taught before you walked in. Mm -hmm. And that's a good place to start because once you create a safe space where you acknowledge, I don't know, and I want to learn, I genuinely want to learn in a genuine, authentic way, and I want to unlearn all the things that I was taught about patriarchy, about racism, about what I think you should be like, then you've created a safe space for people of color to engage with you.
3: I wanna take this time to play some clips from Janina, your show, and then also Queen, maybe you can introduce the clip that you sent over to me about um, kinda like the ways that we can create shows for us that have the science element that
5: communicate the science well to me so can we play uh i'm just gonna say yeah. no one has ever heard these clips so my show yeah. is developing this is <laughs> true so this is a treat <laughs> i'm also the producer on that show so and i
3: edited this so if there's anything wrong
5: <laughs> talk to me talk to me it's not janina's on. <laughs> can we play q4 Welcome to the lab, everybody. You're listening to In Those Genes Podcast, a show that uses genetics to help people of African descent discover our lost identities. I'm your host, Dr. Janina Jeff, a human geneticist at a biotech company. However, I'm also an educator, a lover of hip hop, and now I'm a podcaster. So really, it is my love for genetics, black people, and the arts that has inspired me to make this show. But also because tons of people use science to perpetuate a bunch of bullshit about black folks.
2: The major cause of the American Negro's intellectual and social deficits is hereditary and racially genetic in origin.
5: Saying things like we're genetically less intelligent, more prone to violence, better at sports, more aggressive. But I'm here to tell you today, we got 99 problems, but our genes ain't one. Hit me! In fact, human beings are 99% the same genetically yet it's only 1% that makes us different. It's the reason why we have differences.
3: Janina, if you want to talk a little bit about how this show is communicating science and like futurism in an authentic way to
5: black folks. Um, the biggest, I think the biggest contributor to our show that's different, one, it's an educational podcast, and I just kind of realized that. <laughs> um, but the biggest thing is like teaching in a relatable way. And teaching things that are familiar. So a lot of the show, everything that we teach, every concept that we teach to the audience is done relating something that that is in real life you can um, attach yourself to and really be a part of. And then um, music is a big part of our show. Music is a big part of our culture. And so I think one of the biggest things that was missing from this space in particular is being able to bring in culture into an educational experience about science for people of color. So we work really hard to make sure we have the music, relatable things that everyone can learn and uh, understand and enjoy. Hopefully, yeah. Queen, do you want to talk a little bit about the clip that? We're yeah. Play so I
4: sent Sam a clip from a podcast that I listened to called Marsha's Plate, and um, the hosts are three trans folks, um, two trans women and two trans women and one trans man. And, three black um, trans folks. Yeah, three black trans folks. And they're talking about how, you know, matriarchy is better. But they use um, the example of chimpanzees and bonobos and how those different um, apes um, are socialized to, you know, be patriarchal or matriarchal. Mm-hmm. So that's the clip. Can we play clip six
0: or Q6? the chimp and the bonobo really can lead us to a path of matriarchy and how they can kind of get they're giving us clues that a matriarchal world could be a little bit better so bonobos are socialized as a matriarchy and chimpanzees are socialized as a patriarchy They chimpanzees are more violent they literally torture their rival gangs like they torture they fight they eat cannibalism they rape they, it's just way they more rape. Yes, oh my God. like way more violent just anything that you can think of that's grotesque and horrible they do <laughs> <laughs> like all of they are
4: some wild bitches exactly <laughs>
0: so chimpanzees this is just their tea bonobos on the other hand they usually resolve conflict through sex <laughs> my
4: girl <laughs> so,
3: Queen, can you talk a little bit about like the many facets that make that clip and Marsha's play in general great?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, so it it makes scientific things very layman and very relatable for anybody to understand. You could have never heard of a Bonobo, but you can relate to what they said on that podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also important how people speak when it comes to podcasting. That makes you podcasting is very intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, So it is important for you to hear someone that sounds like somebody that you would listen to every day. Um, And that's what I get from when I listen to Marsha's Plate. And that's kind of how I am when I speak on my podcast. Like I don't code switch at all. I want people to hear me how I speak all the time. And a lot of our listeners relate to that as well. I yeah. think one thing to kind of
5: get to that point, what Bridget said, you can't just like in terms of hiring a black host. That's really important. Like that voice is so important. Yeah. I've listened to podcasts hosted by black women, and within the first sentence, I'm like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> not. I mean, it's just not for me. And for a personal experience, I need it to be for me, and it yeah. should be mm-hmm. right.
1: I mean, I, I've also been there because when I so I've been podcasting for a while. You know, it's a it's a you know, early medium, so it has, not that long, but for a while. And I will remember when I first started, I was trying to do this, like, Black Ira Glass voice, sort of like, hello, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. And it, just, it wasn't me. And I go back and I listen to them, and it just sounds... like. I, and I remember that tension of, do I sound, do I talk like myself, or do I talk like... Who I think people need me to be to respect me. And having to figure that out on the microphone was awful. And if I had, to, if like going back and listening to those episodes is torture for me. But you're right. And I think that as black women podcasters, I think that you have to own that. You have to say, this is my voice, this is how I speak, either like it or don't like it. And I think you're right. I have listened to those shows where I think, oh, this, this, person is still sorting that out, and I, I know what that feels like.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And Bridget, what are some kinds of ways that you, besides like actually using your actual voice, <laughs> that you introduce authenticity in talking about the conversations that you have in your shows?
1: It's a lot of the same thing. I mean, I, a, a fair disclosure, I forgot to do my homework, so I didn't bring my clip, but um, it's a lot of the same thing, right? This idea that you brought up that a big part of how we live our lives is culture, and so I think especially when it comes to talking about technology and STEM and all of that, we tend to have this idea that, you know, the important smart people things are here, and then your pop culture, music, whatever, that's here and they're different buckets. And so the same way in the podcast clip that you brought where they're talking about sex and all of that and like things that are in our lives all the time, understanding that those things are intersectional, that you know, you're not a scientist one day and a lover of hip hop the next. How you live your life is through that experience and you're experiencing all of those things all the time. Yeah. So I would say just bringing, bringing that nod to, to that intersection, to the shows. For sure. Um, I want to start
3: wrapping it up to uh, take time for questions. But before we get into that, I want to speak a little bit about audience and we kind of addressed that already. But what, once again, in terms of actionable ways, do you think folks in this room can take away in terms of including listeners in this podcasting niche? So like what kinds of barriers to entry are there for listeners and how do we address those?
5: I would say um, for every concept, scientific concept, futurism, you have to talk about it from every perspective, every marginalized group. Every time we learn about a science concept, we hear about futurism, we can't ever say, oh, I see myself in this. Oh, I see, um, I was I was watching a show, uh, Random Acts of Flyness, and they had an AI person, uh, they created an AI computer, I think her name was Abina, and they were talk- she was talking to him and she was like, um, does Abina feel like a black woman? And Abina got really uncomfortable anytime they talked about race, Anytime they talked about anything and Abina black. Abina was black. And Abina was Abina black. Was black. Abina was black. black. Abina was a black, black. woman yeah. with a very horrible wig. <laughs> and Abina couldn't do that. And Abina, and then um, Abina's, I guess, like her clone or her human person equivalent was like, well, Abina was programmed by white programmers. So I'm thinking futurism, AI, all this stuff, how is it gonna include me if the people developing it don't look like me? And so it's really, really important to have representation um, because that's, you know, representation and also anytime we talk about things, including it from the angle of everyone. We talk about it from the angle of men and women a lot. Let's also talk about it from the angle of Non-binary. Let's also talk about it from the angle of different underrepresented groups because that's how you include everybody in yeah. it.
4: I just want to add that when you are not white, you're always thinking about race. Mm. Um, white people are the only people who have the privilege to not think about their race all the time. So you can't um, have these spaces and just paint a white person brown and say, I did it, because it's it's, it's just not gonna work. Um, So you have to take us in as whole people, like actual whole people, and our experiences, and our culture, and understand that we're not a monolith. There are billions of different kinds of black people on this earth. So yeah, just black people are not white people painted brown, like just that simple.
1: Yeah, to that, I agree, plus a thousand, to all the things that y'all said. Um, I also would say, just being kind of like what you were saying, being really aware of the various intersections that you're not seeing at the margins. Um, we did a podcast episode around um, legislation that impacts sex workers, and so we had an act, like a sex worker on the show, and one of the things that she talked about that I was like, oh, this had not occurred to me, was the idea that if you are a sex worker, and this was during the time where a lot of bullshit legislation cracking down on sex work online was happening, and so it's still happening, and she made this point that, yeah, if you're a sex worker and you're a black woman, you are double marginalized. And so the folks who are at the margins in, in this space are the ones who have to be sort of these technology innovators because they have to be. And so, you know, we don't often think of sex workers as tech innovators. When you think of tech innovator, you think of a very specific kind of person, a white guy in San Francisco in a turtleneck, right? But... People who are living lives at the margins, well they have to be tech innovators just because it's their life, because it's how they survive. And so me kind of understanding and learning about and being willing to sort of amplify that intersection was really important to how we told that story. So I would say always be thinking about whose story you're not telling and how can you tell that.
4: I just wanna add something real, real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no way that you have innovation without Marginalization. Like mm-hmm. the people in the margins are the most innovative people that you will ever find because you have to be resourceful because the world doesn't give you anything. Yep. So you have to make everything for yourself. So you do not acknowledge people at the margins and talk about innovations, you're an idiot and you're not doing it right.
1: That's so true. So, um, yeah. Quick story, a little unrelated, but whatever. Um, so I just got <laughs> my hair braided for this, for this mm. event, so you're welcome. And you a cute
4: girl, um, <laughs> thank you.
1: And what's funny is that, so the woman who braids my hair, it's completely like an illegal black market, like braiding hair out of people's homes is against the law, I think. Really? Um, and so this woman comes to my apartment. Everything we do is I'm against about the law. Say, right. yeah, it's yeah it's, every, I, I, I know that I know sense. that. That sounds wild, like, look it up, I'm do. not kidding. Everything. Um, and so basically this woman, in order to have this thriving, sustaining business, she has this network of ways of using tech platforms. So how does she get clients? Instagram, right? Like, DM me for this. How does she, how does she get her money? Like, cash app, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all of these different ways this woman was using technology to sort of, you know, not skirt the law, but make this business viable for to, her. To
4: avert the man. Right, yeah. and
1: honestly, like, I was like, you should be putting this on a resume. Like, this is your, your ability to sort of have this business just sustain itself via Instagram and Cash App and word of mouth and all of this. It was, it was, like, talk about a tech innovator, right? And so again, we don't talk about what it looks like when someone is a tech innovator that's not a Silicon Valley white guy, and we should. Mm-hmm. yeah.
3: By a show of hands, can I see how many folks are interested in asking questions? Okay, cool, I just wanted to see where to take it. Um, so, follow-up question to that. Do you think the fix is creating shows, like siphoning ourselves off and creating our own shows and our own safe spaces or is it staffing people of color and women of color and non-binary people of color in pre-existed, fully funded network shows? Mm. Or a little bit of both?
4: I think it should be a mixture of both. Um, My podcast is completely independent and I like that because I like to do whatever I want and I'm also not... I don't bend. I'm doing what I want, how I want it, when I want it, so it works for me, but then I understand that there are other platforms that may need way more funding and cannot be independent, so that they would need the support of the network um, and things like that. So there's ways to operate outside of the system and within the system, but the thing that's really important is to just be true to you, Mm -hmm. um, because the system is not gonna care about you. So if you are in the space where you are using media um, companies, Just make sure you're true to you and true to what your project or vision is. Once you stay away from that, you, you know, you sold out and, um, that's not a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a a tough
5: one. One that I've definitely had to think about, um, when creating the show is like, do I, who, um, who is this going to reach and who should it reach? And originally when I was creating this show, I was so passionate about it being for me and for us and only about us. And I still maybe am but like (laughs) just because we don't have it Um, but then also realizing it's really important for everyone to listen to this and taking Mm -hmm. a step back and saying you know I have to I have to still do what I'm going to do but hopefully reach
4: people that I never thought would listen to the show. Like, if you think about it, when white men create, they're only making stuff for themselves. But we all pay attention. We all watch it. We all consume it. We all take it in. What I create is, I send to black femmes. Anyone affected by misogyny war, you're a center of what I am creating. But everyone is there. We have men listening. We have white people listening. We have So you can still create whatever you want and not... Worry about people not listening because they will come, and that is how white men create. They create for themselves, and because they are who they are, we still consume it. We still take it in. You don't hear white men saying, "Um, I got to make something to make you know, I have to be inclusive of what I'm doing." They don't do that, but we just have to consume it anyway. So, like, I think if you remove that thought from it, mm-hmm. um, it makes things a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I. That's been my experience, too. And so uh, to your question, I don't actually know. I think it's a mixture of both, like Queen was saying. But, you know, nobody calls Mark Marin a white podcaster, right? Like, he just, he's just a podcaster. He just makes things he wants to make. He has the conversation he wants to have. And we just accept that. And we kind of have to consume it. You know, when you're a person of color, when you're marginalized, you have to engage with the dominant... You're just expected to engage with the dominant culture all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not that same way with us. And so I've often said, you know... I would love it if when I make like I guess one of my concerns about sort of having our own spaces to do that is I don't want to be compartmentalized. I make dope shows and everybody can get something out of the shows that we make, whether you're a white person, a black person, whatever. I don't want to be compartmentalized of like, oh, this is the black podcast, therefore there's nothing for me there. Because that's not how you that's not how we grow and learn together. And so, you know, I don't have the answer to whether or not and, and maybe it is a combination, but I know that as a person who makes things, I would like the, I, would, I wonder what, the, what, what it would look like to have the freedom to just make cool shit and not have to feel like, oh, well, it's, this is the black podcast and you're making that like this is a, a niche thing, not expect that we don't have to sort of engage with it the same way.
4: The answer is, what I say is the answer to everything. Just get rid of white supremacist patriarchal capitalism <laughs> and then we could go from there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One last question
3: before we have time for that one question in the audience, um, and we can just circle back to the title of this panel. Who tells the story of our future, in your opinion? Um,
4: for me, is, for me in my life, it's always been black women. Um, we have a panel that me and my co-host do that's called Listen to Black Women, and it's about black oral tradition and women in podcasting, and this is just another extension of that, just passing on stories and having these conversations amongst myself. Um, and if other people happen to tune in, like that's dope. But um, yeah, so that's what it is for me. Yeah, I was gonna say the same. I was gonna say 94%, but we, <laughs> all, we
5: all know who that is. So uh, that, you know, I agree. Who tells the story of our future? It, you tell the story of your future. That's a personal thing, but also people who relate to you, people who care for you, people who are genuinely interested in you having a future. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. You seeing us in a future, that's who, uh, that's who tells the story. Yeah, I agree, I have, no, I have nothing to add. You know, Black women, we,
1: black women be known, you know, <laughs> listen to us. How many times does it come where it's, you know, it's like, oh, well, who could we have listened to? Who was sounding the alarm? Who was saying these things before everybody else? It gets old, but it's always true, so
5: yeah. Yeah, and just one really important thing to that for black women to also understand is a part of being our future, we have to take care of ourselves. We take a lot yeah. of weight. Um, of the world and no one ever talks to us about wellness and how do we you know, think about our futures outside of you know, doing for everyone else. So, yeah, that's a different p- panel. <laughs> a different panel.
4: <laughs> well, thank you guys. Thank you.
3: Cool. <laughs> and we have about five minutes, so anyone who wants to ask a question, there's two mics on the side, you can just walk right up.
5: Hi, I'm Shayna. Is working. So my question relates to what you just said. If you are, you know, as black women,
3: telling a story or allowing a portal for people's stories to be told that aren't typically told, how do you go about marketing your podcast,
1: your, your platform without appealing to the patriarchal da-da-da-da-da? So how do you keep your message pure and keep your audience fed
3: but still appeal to the wider audience?
1: Well, I think it goes back to what you were, oh sorry, you, Oh, it goes back to what, you, what Queen was saying earlier, that you know, she knows who, she's, like, who her people are, right? And so I think that if you're a podcaster or making anything, the most important thing to know first is who are you making this for? And so she said, black femmes, like, yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. And so if other people wanna tune in, cool, but they have to know that You know, we're not making this specifically for them. If they want to listen, great, but you know,
4: we're not going to change it up to make yeah. them feel included. I wanna add that there are seven billion people on this planet. You have enough people to listen to your podcast. Like there, like this scarcity model created by white supremacist patriarchal capitalism tells you <laughs> that there's not enough for everybody. And there is, there's enough for everybody in this fucking room. Like literally. So like don't make don't make it's it's not the truth, okay? There's enough people for you to listen to your podcast. I right? was just
5: gonna also say kind of speaking to that. One of the things that I'm really passionate about and I think is also important in terms of marketing is how are we reaching people who aren't listening to podcasts. Yeah. So that's really, really big for people of color because a lot of, you know, our families and our extended families don't listen to podcasts and all of the marketing that's created for podcasts do not engage with them to listen to them. So our we marketing teach
4: them how. Yeah. Like our yeah, marketing yeah.
5: campaigns are gonna be completely different and kind of get into what you were just saying i personally don't care about reaching a mass audience the intended audience will come
1: yeah yeah my own parents they still ask me what channel on the tv can i watch your podcast (laughs) it's it's, it's a constant thing i get it every every time we see each other so yeah i mean the the barrier to entry is different for us for sure all right we only have about one minute left so oh
3: okay sure really quick uh, I was just wondering if any of you all have thought about how to preserve the stories that you're creating now for the future, if we're talking about who's telling the stories for the future, like working with archives or like doing any like personal archiving yourselves, if this is something you've thought about.
5: it's a great question. I'm gonna upload my consciousness to the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Would you really? I don't know, but I mean, um, I haven't actually thought about it. One thing I do like about the digital space is um, Everything exists forever. So I'm from New Orleans. Um, You know, we had Hurricane Katrina. I literally don't have baby pictures. Um, And I always think about how amazing it would have been to, like, be born in the face of Facebook where you have all this archived things. So technology,
4: (laughs) the cloud.
3: Anyone else? Last question.
4: Thank you, ladies. Um, I wanted to ask, I think one of you mentioned that um, you when you're listening to a podcast, you already know like, okay, this isn't for me. So what are those cues of what are you looking for when you, want, when you have a podcast that's black hosted and you wanna feel included? Um, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't have to be a black hosted thing. Usually most of what I listen to is by black women. But if you sound like I would invite you to my house, then I'm gonna listen but if you sound like someone that is not gonna be I'm not gonna feel safe with or which is usually a white man then you can't come you know I'm not gonna listen to you
3: also if you're like putting disclaimers on black things instead of just talking yeah. about black things as they exist that for me is a turnoff. so if you're like explaining hip hop 101 I'm gonna turn your podcast off yeah <laughs> and with that thank you everybody
2: That was Sam Riddell, Bridget Todd, Janina Jeff, and Naima Queen Muhammad speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management.